0: Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts with John Stephenson. John understands the importance of being prepared. Through rain, rocks, and snow, he has seen it all and survived. He has seen major disasters like Mount St. Helens and how vehicles were stopped in the street from the volcanic ash, earthquakes too, including the Loma Prieta earthquake, which felt like it wouldn't stop shaking. People were without electricity and could not hardly buy groceries or gasoline. The homeless lit bonfires in the streets. The Bay Bridge and other freeways were broken. God only knows what will be next.
1: Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts by John Stephenson. We invite Jesus Christ to guide us as we examine how our preparations can be used to preserve the lives of ourselves, our family, and others. First aid is something every one of us understands that we need to have, but how much? And what we have is always a question. Often we think we don't need very much because we can always go to the store and get some. But what if we can't? I think it's better to have some first aid items on hand. And I will go over my list in a moment. I, and I expect everyone's list to be different. But these are the areas that I think most commonly need to be addressed for first aid. Cuts, burns intestinal issues and discomfort or fever for cuts i say uh, get some gauze medical tape triple antibiotic ointment and and i do mean lots of these things because they are all good and so is medical tape so all these things are very good get plenty of it and then i like to have a little swiss army knife with scissors and tweezers i like a small flashlight too That can be helpful. And if you're going to be doing a lot of walking, get a little mold skin for your feet in case you get a blister. For burns, uh, get some aloe vera burn gel or get some salve that is intended for burns. That's really the best. But burns initially are very painful, especially for children. So it's good to have some burn relief. For intestinal issues, you might need to settle someone's stomach or you might have to calm some vomiting or or have an antidiarrheal problem. All these things happen, so always have some antidiarrheal tablets on hand. Sometimes you will also want to have an electrolyte mixture. Uh, I I would suggest a powder, which you mix with water or other liquid. And it helps to restore the body's Mineral balance, and it's especially important for children. For discomfort and fever, it seems everybody has their own preference. Is it aspirin or ibuprofen or acetaminophen? So some are better than others for one thing or another, but people generally choose one or the other because that's what they want. So get some, and also get some antihistamine tablets, and get paper and pencil because you will need to make notes on what you have done uh, just so that you remember or in case there's another person coming in to carry on the treatment that you started. Don't rely on your memory, but instead write things down. So you do need that paper and pencil. And just a couple of other items you might want to consider are exam gloves, soap, sanitizer, water in a very small amount uh, to wash a wound out, or, or, or um, a, a toothbrush is good. That'll help a person to feel better. Dental floss also. And those are just good things to have. That's the short list. You sort of can do whatever you want, add things to it, take it, things away. But the point is, is make a list and then fill it and have it on hand. If you want a, 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 a kit you can carry with you, just take a few of those items but you should have all those things in your home kit. Another thing is Band-Aids are very nice for children because it, it shows that you ca- you're you caring for their hurt, and it shows compassion. So add to this whatever you want because everybody has their own needs and know how to use whatever you have. Start your preparations now before there's an urgent need and what you want is hard to find. As for today, give thanks to God for the blessings that you do have This is episode 47.
0: Your letters with questions or donations are important. John Stephenson, P.O. Box 7222, Chico, California, 95927. Email prepareforgod at usa.com or call 628-7222. Thank you for listening to Preparedness Thoughts on KKXX.
2: Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art
0: settle up your
3: Welcome to Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is the program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness, where the uncompromised Word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. For God has called us to stand for truth, and having done all to stand, we will stand. It's time to fight the good fight of faith, to preserve our country, Our families, fortunes, and sacred honor to protect our property, our schools, and yes, maybe even salvage some of our churches. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Now, here is your host of Red Sky Radio, Rob Walter. Well, hello, America, and welcome world to Red Sky Radio and the Red Sky Radio Ranch where we ride hard for the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you all today. I have to give you a little bit of a um, disclaimer I guess right out of the gate here this morning uh, I am traveling this week and traveling means I have to do the program remotely doing the program remotely means I need to find a place to do it and it turns out I have no place other than my hotel room and I have no time to do it other than at 5:30 a.m. so if you think I'm rather subdued today If you think, gosh, Rob must be hoarse, he must be sick, maybe he's lacking passion, none of those things are true. I'm simply in an environment where I am forced to tone down my volume level because I have people sleeping on both sides of my room as we do this program at the only hour of the day that I can, 5.30 a.m. So just bear with that. Now, having said that, none of that means that Uh, I won't come uncorked uh, and feel like there's a breakout at some point. Maybe when I hear the toilets flush next to me uh, and they're up and I hear the doors bang and they're going down for breakfast, I will be back to my old unbridled self. But anyway, the essence of the program has not changed at all. We're going to start with good news. We're going to do everything we can to end with good news in between. Hang on. And today's program, like every program, is for everybody around the world. Although I am actually holding off yet another week on how do we know when it is time to disobey uh, the civil authorities, when we must disobey the civil authorities. And I I made the change uh, for this week's program on the spot after hearing the president's speech the other night on border security. And as I said, I start with the good news, and the good news is that speech. The speech was short. He didn't trail on for a for a half an hour introduction like Obama did, giving record length State of the Union addresses. Uh, No, this was short. It was to the point. It was factually loaded, and to to, I can't. I just can't even believe the Democrats who have said, we reject, Nancy Pelosi, I reject your facts. Well, you know what? We're all entitled to our opinion. None of us are entitled to our own facts. So if a fact is a fact, it's a fact, Nancy baby. Get over it just because you can't process that in your mind just because you are not receiving of it because you owe your position to a bunch of left-wing uh, left-wing losers, frankly, that dominate the Bay Area. You don't get to tell somebody that something else isn't fact. She had nothing to contradict the fact. She simply rejected them, and it was fact-laden. I can tell you U.S. border security loved the speech. Department of Homeland Security loved the speech, other than the ones who are on furlough. You know, they probably would like to get back to work, but I will tell you. If you are a real American and there's nothing to be ashamed about that there's something to be proud of that if you are a real American you would have loved that speech. And I want to I want to well you know what the first of all the critics had a whole sorts of things not just Pelosi where well, reject your facts. Uh one of the critics said you know this is one of the most boring speeches Trump had no real passion when he said it. Look, he's not supposed to get excited about this topic. And what happens when Trump does get excited? Then they complain that he's excitable. In this case, uh, he was much more controlled than it. It wasn't a campaign speech. This is a serious issue. The life and survivability of the United States depends on security issues at our border. Now, I'm not going to go back that maybe God has it says through multiple places, Uh, in the Old Testament, is that he sold Israel. He sold, I mean, I I can think of three or four places where it simply says that because of Israel's sin, he sold them into the hands of Israel's enemies. Now, of course, he came back and judged those enemies after Israel repented. But frankly, folks, I would rather not go through the disobedience get judged, and then only get restored as a result of wholesale repentance. But if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. So there are, there are those critics. I will tell you, I think this is one of the best two-minute speeches or whatever it was I've ever heard. <clears throat> you could not have been more factual about a more important topic. So, I, so I'm going to just share with you what I thought was the – climax of the speech he got to where i hope he was going to get and that was where he said uh if you know if you are opposed to the walls then i have to ask you politicians ask you why do politicians build walls about around their houses and fences and high fences and big gates like Brock has. Why do you have fences to protect you from the outside, and we can't have a fence protecting us from the outside? And he went on to say, this is not because we hate the people on the outside. It's because we love the people on the inside. You know, this is why the Democrats are so apoplectic, is because he makes so much sense he is so right factually he was so right morally they can't handle it because they want their own facts because they have had their own they've had their own spin with the mainstream media forever so they get to include and exclude whatever they want because the media is carrying their water the media are their are their other are boys really I'll tell you they just they own them. The media is going to do whatever the, the left wants because they're inseparable. It's an incestuous relationship between the left and the media. So do you do we love who's on the inside of our house? Let me ask you Demon or just generally, why do we have security measures around our homes? Why do we have bolts on our doors? Why do we have various lo- why do our windows have uh, window locks which though they may not be super effective, we still lock them. Is it because we hate everybody that's outside our door, or is it because we love those who are inside, and we have a moral obligation to protect those people? Of course, it's the latter, and the left cannot handle moral obligation, and I understand why they don't they can't tolerate the a, a phrase such as moral obligations. it's because they have none. They don't I mean they have obligations, but they don't know what morals are. I mean you're sort of afraid of that whichever you don't have and that which you're not used to. Well, there you go. That's what you got. All right. Moving on. That's the end of the good news to open. This was a great speech. And what I would suggest, don't Google it to listen it to it. Go on some website to just get a text of the speech. Now that's what I always did with Barack Hussein was I would not listen to the guy. I couldn't stand the guy, so I didn't listen to him, but I owed him my ear at least as to see what it was he said. So I always read the speeches. And that way you can separate the uh, dissimilitude that would be expressed, if that's the right word, The well, you name it, Uh, all the dynamics where people are clapping crazy just because he said something, uh that was uh not embarrassing he would get a clap. Well, it's quite the opposite with Donald Trump. Do I love the man? I it's people say, do you like do you like Trump? Well it's not an issue of liking or loving. The question is do I like and love what he says? Do I like and love what he does? The answer is an unequivocal yes. I'm not talking about those times he spouts off on things where he shouldn't I, I wish sometimes he would just let the Twitter account lie dormant for a bit. But when I say I like and love what he does, I mean from a policy perspective. His policies are what we need. And if we can't handle it, <clears throat> then we we as a nation don't deserve that good of a leader. And instead, what you'll end up with is some that are so grossly, totally inappropriate for any political office, such as California's new governor, Gavin Newsom, who declared the other night, right after the speech, actually before the speech and then again after Trump's speech, that all illegals, all illegals, all, any and all illegals are welcome in California. Well, Gavin, baby, let me tell you something about the world population. And if Mexico felt like streaming the world's population through the borders in Southern California... Uh, You got forty million people, more or less, thirty-five million now. How would you like three billion, Gavin? How this is what I would love to see: are about four to eight hundred squatters on Gavin Newsom's lawn. I'd like people defecating, and you're doing the things that people need to do. Hopefully, as they uh, are required in Scripture, you bury your refuse. But maybe they don't. Maybe there aren't toilet facilities. Maybe he can just sit and live with the entire world inside your precious gates, Gavin. Inside, they're making a mess like they've destroyed San Francisco with their brown zones. Have you seen that? The map of San Francisco where they're telling tourists to stay out, and they have various shades of brown because the darker the brown, the greater the probability the the tourists are going to stumble onto more and more human feces on the sidewalks. Yeah, welcome to Sodom, Francisco. That's what you get when a town, when a country, when a municipality decides to abandon the word of God, everything, and I mean everything else, Goes wrong, so Gavin Newsom is now promising free medical care for all. Okay, Gavin, baby, let's put that two billion with a Ford of six hundred uh, urinating and doing whatever they are sleeping in tents on your front lawn, and on the the lawn of all the other demon crats in Sacramento. I, th- I, the what I would like to see are all the illegals pushed right into their face. Because why is it you guys get fences and walls and we don't as a country? Why do you have your Armed guards, why do you have all your protection, but we can't protect ourselves? Why do all your people surrounding you, you elitist snobs, have your firepower to be able to protect your not-so-precious ears? But we don't get them. And they are elitist snobs. Democrats are people who think they are smarter and think they are more moral and think that they have more guts than everybody else, when in reality, they are lacking all three. It's the opposite of the trifecta. It's a trifecta of evil, if you will. Well, I love what Trump responded the other day. He said that uh, he's going to start cutting off billions of dollars for FEMA use in California. California can fight their own fire. Their own fires. I think you need to stick it back to him. If California is going to act like another country. Openly, brazenly violate all the immigration laws that we have and violate all sorts of laws, as Gavin Baby, you know, administered over queer marriages back when queer marriage was patently illegal. If that, if they want to act like their own country, let them be their own country. Let them fund their own self defense. Let them put up their own road money. Let them, let them, you know, secede because practically speaking, they have seceded. I don't want to carry the load. For a loser state like that when you've got losers like Newsom in power? No way, man. I don't want to do it. If they have if they're going to act like a country, a new their own country, then let them be their own country, which means we have no obligation to do anything for anybody in California as the US from the US perspective. Now I may have some of my conservative friends in California upset at that. But hey, that's the way that it is. I can't. I, I can't say it any other way. If you're going to act like your own country, then let's. Tr- we're going to treat you like a distinct and separate country, and we are not going to provide international aid to a foreign country called California. Simple as that. I mean, I have to just tell. I I I get sick of these stories about just how sick, sorry, and sad the Democrats are. So I'm going to move through these really, really quickly because I want to get to some other things that are that are actually that are very, very important in light of President's speech the other night, but also in light of this little these little tidbits I'm going to give you here. That Steve Cohen, of course, the guy, a guy's a Democrat from Tennessee. Nonetheless, yeah, I don't know where he's from in Tennessee, but hopefully he gets defeated the next time around. He's introduced a bill to eliminate the Electoral College. Now, I do not want to educate everybody on the role of the Electoral College. Those of you who are listening overseas have no idea what I'm talking about. Probably, although there's a good chance people in foreign countries who know something about American history know more about American history, have a better handle on uh, the U.S. history and the U.S. Constitution than most Democrats, maybe all Democrats. So the bill to eliminate the electoral comes down electoral college comes down to this. It should be named, and what this would mean folks, is simply the majority rules, whatever the vote is in this country is the president you get. but it should be called the bill to let California and New York elect the president because that's what's going to happen. You just for, forget it. If you're in Wyoming, forget it. Oklahoma, forget it. South Dakota, forget it. You'll have no rights anymore. You will be totally swamped. And if California and the, and Cohen wants to do that, then let them do it. And then, then the other states that are more fair-minded and have an understanding of the purpose of the Electoral College can reform as a separate country. As I said, it is not a question of if but when the United States is split in two, not in half, but in two. But this is all about Democrats not getting what they want, so they find a way to change the rules to get what they want. Oh, let's have the Electoral College. And why? Because California and New York can vote, and because California and New York don't do anything to prevent illegals from voting. Hey, we will own this country. We will, we will run everything, and this is going to be our country. Well, not for Not for long. Not for long until, if you've heard the last couple programs about God allowing our adversaries, even stirring up adversaries, to come in to this country. And from without and from within, <clears throat> we would be decimated. And you, you can put it at the blame of the Democrats, although I place great, great blame at the feet of many Republicans, and particularly the so-called pastors and clergy in the country that has lost the guts. They've got no cojones to speak to the critical issues of our day. And so we are where we are because we have refused to teach our congregations that there is a moral compass to follow. So you take, uh, what's her face here, Jane Curtin from Old Saturday Night Live. Her comment, her New Year's resolution, let's make sure that the Republican Party dies well, Janie, baby, you know what? You were never that good on uh, Saturday Night Live, um, and I'm glad you're gone, but I don't watch it anymore anyway. You see, every, whether it's from abortion to, let's we want the Republican Party to die. The Democrats are the party of death. They are the culture of death. You see, it doesn't stop with killing unborn humans in the womb, it doesn't kill with Uh, uh, physician-assisted suicide or non-physician-assisted suicide. They seem to be all about the right to kill, except when it comes down to actually killing for the purposes of protecting our families when somebody breaks in, then they're all against that. So they're all about killing the innocent and protecting the guilty, as we talked about last week. But now it's spread to killing Republicans. We you know what if I came out and said, you know what? Here's my New Year's resolution. I just simply wish every Democrat in the country was dead, deader than a doornail. I mean, I mean, ten toes up. What if you said that about Obama? Like they talk that about Trump and the bloody head, all the things about killing Trump and wishing he was dead and blah, blah, so they said that about Obama. Of course, the left would say, oh, well, that's racist. That's racist. Well, the left is not that smart. And they only have about an eight word vocabulary, as I've mentioned. Racist, homophobic, Islamophobic, uh, you know, g- uh, global warming, um, hate speech. And that's about it. After that, they start repeating themselves. And then so what you end up in places where there are no people or very few people with brains, you end up with the, you know, the Acacia Cortez. Uh, what's her face? Yeah, I can't even think of her name. Um, Alexandria Acacio Cortez, uh, you know, said, you know, let's have higher taxes. Let's have a 70 percent tax free Medicare for everybody. What not only is she socialist, she's just plain stupid, folks. I mean, if you're from Boston University, I hate to shame your university, but I'll tell you, she is a bad advertisement for your school. And she graduated fourth in her particular school. Uh, what is it? School of, I don't know what it was, journalism or something. I can't remember what it was that she graduated from. That's not a good reflection on your school, BU. Not at all. Because if somebody like that is graduating fourth, you've got a lousy school. Or alternatively, uh, the people that graduate from there have have gotten a, such a lousy education that they really need to go back and demand a refund. Well, <clears throat> then you got the guy, this guy cracks me up, Hank Johnson, Democrat, of course, Democrat from Georgia, who just makes unbelievable, horrifying remarks about Trump supporters. The guy's a racist, but this is a guy so incredibly stupid that he thought and I watched the testimony. I saw this on video. I am not making this up. He thought that because we had too much military personnel and equipment on the island of Guam, that, and, and because it might be located on one side of the island, the island might tip over. Look, I know we don't have a religious test for office, but it seems like there should be a stupidity test that if you can't get above a certain IQ, you just go to the back of the line. This guy's a moron. He was speaking at Friendship Baptist Church, and of course he continuously compared Trump to Adolf Hitler. And I gotta tell you, the democrats can go into churches and nobody says anything about it. Republican goes into a church, all of a sudden us oh, separation of church and state. We gotta separate church from state. Well you know I'm used to that crapola from those guys. Now, I want to get on to something I meant to cover last week. And then we're going to move on to the topic of the day, which is, as I mentioned, is a result of Trump's speech. But I want to mention this. So the House Democrats under Pelosi, no brains, Nancy, no brains, Pelosi. I, I just tell you, you know, as dumb, as dumb as, um, The guy from Georgia is. Pelosi is in a close race, folks. I just, I don't like to call people stupid. But when their stupidity is advertised, when their stupidity is advocated, when their stupidity, they go out of their way to display the lack of gray matter, the inability to connect the most fundamental dots, then um, they're fair game. If they're going to portray themselves as intelligent leaders, and then I got the right to contradict their portrayal. All right? Simple as that. Well, so Nancy Pelosi, what's her first act as speaker? The very first act is to restore abortion funding throughout the world. In other words, the um, Madam of Death wants as their her top priority is to get, let's get back in the business of killing innocent unborn humans all over the world. I mean, if this doesn't reflect the party and culture of death, I mean, what would they just can't wait to get back to the killing fields. Now, the funding was stripped from organizations like international planned parenthood, which is really international planned non parenthood. As one of uh, by Donald Trump, as one of his first acts, as one of the first things we congratulated him on when he was elected. Because as president, he expanded what was known as a Mexico City policy, which prevented foreign aid dollars from being used to fund organizations that kill innocent, unborn children in the womb. So the bill that she has also increases... Um, the amount going to the National Pop Nations Population Fund, which is uh, clearly a uh, coercive abortion and involuntary sterilization based organization. So, Nancy's um, policy here is if we can't kill them, we'll sterilize them. Now, what does that sound like? This is a policy, you see, it was Democrats, Democrats, mind you, who came up with the idea. Under Margaret Sanger, because they embraced Margaret Sanger, the Democrats, who you go back 150 years, they were the ones, and and later, not just you don't you can it, this prevailed through the Jim Crow law days, because it was Democrats who who supported the Jim Crow law laws that wanted to sterilize blacks, lest, as they said, as Margaret Sanger said, an inferior race would be allowed to populate. So understand that what she is asking for are five million dollars to expand the contribution to an organization that not only has coercive abortion. In other words, you don't get the, you don't have to kill your innocent, unborn uh, child. We're going to force you to do it. But also involuntary sterilization. You see, the Democrats have never been pro-black, they've never been pro-minority, they just promise crapola to minorities that somehow, by and large, seem to suck it up and then turn around and vote for them. Because uh, the Democrats aren't really interested in liberating blacks into the world of, of high-paying jobs and very very successful positions on many la- levels, because that means they leave the plantation. That's, that's obvious. I mean, knowing educated blacks on this issue, which I've talked to, and I've talked to many of them, all agree on this point. The Democrats have been the party of slavery, the, the, the party of induced poverty, and that is we'll give you just enough to make it where you are so you have and we'll strip you and suck all the initiative out of you to want to do more. Mr. Dannenfelser said the House bill is uh, will once, once again makes taxpayers complicit in the exportation of abortion and the destruction of countless unborn children around the world. There you go. That is first and foremost on Nancy Baby's list. The head of the Democrat Party cannot wait to go back to the killing fields. And you think it's fair? Of course it's not fair. Here's a conservative woman worked for Fox News. Uh, in Washington, D.C., they have people, contrary to the law, are not admitting Republicans and perceived conservatives as tenants in clear violation of the law, which states that political affiliation and source of income uh, in many places cannot be the basis for excluding people from being able to rent an apartment. But that's happening. It's happening all over the place, and it happened to Pardis Selah, a conservative who worked for Fox News. No, she can't get an apartment uh, from any liberals because the leftist weenies in Washington, D.C. won't enforce their law because their law wasn't intended to ever protect conservatives. No, 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 no. Well, let me ask you folks, are you called to run for political office? You just might be. Don't go away. This is Rob Walden. When we come back, we're going to explore that topic. We'll be right back.
4: Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter is a listener-supported program. Please know that 100% of your contribution goes to pay for airtime so that as many people as possible are able to hear that the Word of God has answers to every meaningful problem and issue in life. No one gets paid a salary at Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. But in response to your support, we pledge to bring you the most timely and critical information you need to help make informed decisions in this age of media bias and a growing hostility to all things Christian. Your partnership makes you one of the watchmen on the wall with us, as described in the book of Ezekiel. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you.
3: We are back. This is Rob Wold of the Red Sky Radio. And if you're wondering, uh, if you missed the beginning of the program, if you're wondering why I'm talking in somewhat subdued tones, I am on the road and I am forced to pre-record this program from a hotel room where I have guests sleeping on both sides of the two walls. And I, until I hear the toilets flush and the door slam for them to go down to breakfast here at 6 a.m., I am a little bit subdued. I'm trying to keep a lid on it. Folks, this is really, really tough. Now, my wife would probably say, I think this is something that you should practice, keeping a lid on it and keeping your tone down, not getting so worked up, not getting so passionate, Um, but she knows me better than that. And so uh, uh, maybe she's going to recommend that for now on all radio programs be done in hotel rooms uh, as training to be subdued and a little calmer and all those sorts of things it just really is not where I am at. If you care about something enough, if you care about something not enough, you might get worked up. If somebody's ready to molest your twelve-year-old daughter, do you simply say, uh, "Please, sir, uh, could you could could you really just? I'm, I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm just trying to protect my daughter. Could you just please take your hands off from her? No, no. Come on. When something is important, it, it you may elevate. The passion may cause an elevation. All right? Okay. I promised at the beginning of the show that, that I had diverted from what I planned to cover the, the, today because of the president's speech and because of the really outrageously ridiculous, egregiously stupid, intolerant, uh, nonsensical, uh, angry, and immoral reaction of Democrats all over the country. This, his speech, as short as it was, and the better the speeches get, the more angry the Democrats become. And this has led me to this topic that I want to cover, if I can do it in the remaining 24 minutes here, of whether you, and I'm talking, if you're listening, I don't care whether you are 21 or 81, whether you should run for political office. Look, you know, I mean, there's a passage in Scripture that said that God looked around for a person to stand in the gap. Stand in the gap. But because he found none, then judgment was delivered upon Israel. Are you the person? I mean, look, it doesn't... People say, well, I don't think I could get elected. Who cares? I've run a whole bunch of times, and I've gotten defeated. It was never about whether I could win. The question was... God, did you call me to run? Do I, Is there a message you want shared to these people, win, lose, or draw? Is there a message that can only get out to some of these people by virtue of running for political office or getting on some something where you can engage and interact with a secular world for them to see and hear for maybe the first time in their life a measure of common sense? And virtue that they will not see or hear on mainstream media, or any longer in high school government classrooms and college classrooms all across the United States. Now, I understand. I mean, I'm not one to say, "Hey, I've got great success running politically." But I, I and and you say, "Well, why am I doing this right after the other election?" Because now is when you, and, and I don't know where where every. Everybody is listening, but for every country where you have an opportunity at some level, even if the opportunity is small, even if the opportunity seems like one in a million shot for you to enter into on behalf of the kingdom of God into a government service to right the ship of state or to play a role in bringing God's word in the public sphere, you don't have to quote 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and all those things. No, but bringing the wisdom that comes with knowing God's Word into the public sphere and explaining things that people will not hear any other way, now is the time to start praying about that. Now is the time to consider, well, do I run for something next year? Start praying about it. I don't care whether you're in Nepal or Ireland or you're in Minnesota, whether you are in Gary, Indiana, or you're in Seattle. It doesn't matter. open yourself up to be pricked and prodded by the Holy Spirit. Just like uh, the Holy Spirit prodded Paul. Paul finally got, you know, kind of taken to the carpet on the road to Damascus He finally yielded. But God said to him, Paul, why do you keep kicking against the the prods and the pricks? Meaning I have sent, you know that I'm at work here. Why do you keep fighting it? So this is a this is a program to see if there is a spark in you or to open up a spark in you to begin to pray I don't care what race you are age it doesn't really matter are you available to be used by God in some place that is entirely foreign and uncomfortable I want to tell you something I have to I will say, some of the greatest, most anointed moments in my life have been when I have been so completely out on a limb, out in my, uh, outside my comfort zone, having to rely on the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit supplies what is needed for that moment in time to say what needs to be said. Doesn't mean it's popular. Doesn't mean the crowd goes wild, but it's what they need. Look, nobody's asking you to cut open their, their chest uh, because they, they've always really, really, truly wanted open-heart surgery. No. No, you don't do that. You do that because you have to, because it's a necessity to maybe have that surgery. And is it necessary for you to perform surgery on the populace in uh, Nevada or Louisiana in Boston? In some foreign country, are you the doctor that God has called to put in the scalpel and the knife and begin to cut open a diseased body and show the disease for what it is and then bring the healing, the bring the response, bring the, if you will, the political spiritual medicine to that situation? Maybe you'll be rejected. There's a good chance you might be, but maybe you're just being rejected for the next race. Do not foreclose the possibility. I don't. It does, you're not running for the House of Representatives, although maybe you'll be moved to do that. Maybe it's school board, maybe it's some local county commissioner or city council or something of that sort. Every place. Look, the government is upon his shoulders, God's shoulders. But if he doesn't have any vessels in this world to to work through. Then he's got to simply be stuck with working sovereignly all the time, and that's not the way that it works. Look, I share five things with Abraham Lincoln. Five things I share with him. You think I'm patting me myself on the back? No. I think it was, ele- and I could be wrong on these, but I think, uh, but Lincoln lost his first five elections. I lost my first five elections. I think he might have lost more than that. But that's where, the, the, that's where Abe and I uh, separate. I, uh, he started winning eventually, and I never did. I've always been in some environment where I knew I was terribly outmanned, outgunned, outspent. I've always been in a conservative minority area when I have been running. So it, 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 I know that it hasn't worked, but if there is a great person running, already for an office, there's no need for me to enter into it. Look, if that person's out there shining the light, they don't need my flashlight at high noon, right? I am not sure that I have won an election since a sophomore in high school when I ran home to victory. The powerful, if not intimidating, campaign slogan of, don't be a slob, vote for Rob. Now, And and I became a Christian during my first election, during it, So I had many things that I didn't want to. I did not want to be elected because I didn't want to be called to push and advocate for things that, because of my new relationship with Jesus Christ, I could no longer support. Which I don't need to go into. But understand and take down this passage. This is something God demands of. uh, I mean, it's it's the it's the three-legged stool for for proper political leadership as a Christian. You don't have to search all over the Bible for it. It's this simple. It's in Exodus eighteen twenty-one. Exodus eighteen twenty-one. The requirements for a leader were threefold: the three-legged stool. You fear God, number one. You love truth, number two, and you hate covetousness. And number three trips a lot of people up because they might be they might fear God, they might love the truth, but something about the perks, the pay the power, the popularity, and the privileges of higher-level public office goes to their head, and they start coveting it. They start wanting the office not because they're a vessel of service, just, but just simply because they like all the things that I just said. It's been the stumbling block. Hating covetousness or not hating covetousness has been the stumbling block for a lot of Christians who have run for office. They start to fall in love with a position and start to believe that a little compromise here, a little compromise there is necessary to stay in office. And compromising with evil is frankly evil. And they compromise their way right out of usefulness to the kingdom of God and to the people they represent. You see, so... I'm going to give you, uh, what, six or seven points here as quickly as I can. Whether you want to take them down is up to you. Whether you want to listen to them again on darkskyradio.com where you can pick up this program or on redskyradio.net. Either one of those sources, you can pick them up. You can get the podcast off from darkskyradio.com. But consider this. You need to have a genuine interest in wanting to make a difference. You, you, politics is nothing more And political office, running for office, is nothing more, at least it should be nothing more, than the proclamation of truth in a different venue. Maybe you speak truth to your kids. Maybe if you're a pastor, you speak truth to your congregation. Maybe you're an elder. You teach in classes, you speak truth. This is just speaking truth with a different venue. And guess what? It's not all friendly people that are around you. By no means. It's not. In fact, I have to tell you, when I'm speaking, I prefer a hostile audience to a supportive audience because I've got no minds I can change. With a friendly audience, they're already on my side. I want where something can be changed. Give me a hostile audience. I, I spoke in front once for the, what is it, the National Federation of Jewish Women. And a good friend of mine, I was running for office in Southern California, a very good friend of mine who is Jewish, Pled with me, Rob, do not speak before these women. He said, these women are nasty. They moved out from New York. They're going to rip you limb from limb. They 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 might throw spit boads. They may flip you the finger. And I said to him, Brad, that was his first name. I said, Brad, I feel like I'm called to do it. Thank you for your advice because your advice shows me passionately how much you care for me. And that means a lot. But I've got to go into this lion's den. I've got to go into this furnace because unless I do, nothing will be changed. And then he gave me one last pitch. He said, I'm going to say this and then I'm all done. These women, Rob, can circumcise you with their eyes from 50 feet away. Now, that was a pretty graphic. uh, I got the point. And you know what? He was exactly right. That Not that they could circumvent me, but that they were going to be mean and that they were going to be nasty. They were very left-wingers. They felt obligated to listen to me, and they didn't listen for very long before they started hissing, cussing, and I think a few through things. And the more they did that, the more I picked up steam. I really did. Hey, what Scripture says, take no thought for, you know, when you're dragged before your accusers. Well, I wasn't dragged before my accusers, but you get the point. God supplied what needed to be said at that moment in time. How are these people ever going to hear anything else? It was actually a somewhat of an honor to be able to have an opportunity to address these these people. And did I reach some of them? Hey, I have no idea, but that's not my business. That's up to God. Did some of them get changed? So keep in mind the proclamation of truth just in different venues. You don't compromise. You do not compromise. I remember so decidedly my first Presidential election that I observed, 1964, Barry Goldwater versus Lyndon Johnson. I was 13 years old at the time. And the news media, I remember it it was an exit interview coming out of a poll. A white reporter in Atlanta interviewed a black man coming out of a voting booth in Atlanta and wanted to know who he voted for. The reporter was fully expecting to hear him say Johnson. Fully expecting him to say, Johnson. The man said, I voted for Goldwater. The reporter was stunned. He was shocked. Shocked so much, folks, that I remember this event at 13 years old. It has stuck with me my whole life. And he, and he mumbled and fumbled around and finally asked the man, well, why? Because the polls indicated that blacks were going heavily towards Johnson. He said, well, you know what? I don't. Uh, he said, I like what Lyndon Johnson president, what Lyndon Johnson says. I just don't believe him. I don't necessarily like what Mr. Goldwater says, but I believe him. And when it comes down to it, I'd rather have a president that I could believe. I mean, goodness sakes, that spoke volumes from this man. I don't care what his education level was or wasn't. What he spoke was something much greater than knowledge, much greater than education. It was wisdom. Wisdom. When I was speaking before a large group in Santa Barbara a few years ago, and I was a low man on the totem pole in this thing, there was a U.S. Senate candidate, then U.S. House of Representatives candidate, then the California State Senate, then finally down to me, the low man on the totem pole for the California Assembly, which is California's House of Representatives. They had a question from the audience. They wanted to know who was the person that they most revered and used as a role model today in American politics. Today was meant to exclude from our answer Ronald Reagan. We couldn't say Ronald Reagan. Had to be somebody living in politics today. The U.S. Senate Senate candidate was inspired by no one. She couldn't think of anybody that inspired her, which means that it wasn't a passion for the office. It wasn't a passion to help people and a commitment to doing good. It was all about ambition. The U.S. House of Representatives candidate, same thing. He couldn't identify anybody but his dad, and his dad was never in political office, didn't even answer the question. Typical politician, right? You ask him a question, they'll just give you the answer they want to tell you, regardless of whether it relates to the question or not. The state senate candidate, before it got to him, got up and left. He said, i got to be somewhere. This was the largest political audience any of the four of us had thus far in the campaign. They got down to me. I said, I want to thank you for finally an easy question. Because the uh, person I admire most in politics today, in politics, it wasn't American politics, in politics is Benjamin Netanyahu. And the place went wild. It went screaming and hooting and hollering. Positively, I might add. I didn't do that because I thought it would produce that. I spoke from my heart. It was a proclamation of truth. And I said, hey, I would love to trade Barack Obama. KKXX Paradise K280GL Chico and K283AR. Sour from
5: townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. President Trump's top economic advisor says the partial government shutdown is having a negative impact on the economy. More from White House correspondent Greg Clugston.
3: Kevin Hassett, the chairman of the White House Council of Economic Advisors, says the shutdown is slowing growth more than predicted. The White House is doubling its estimate of the strain on the economy and now calculates the shutdown is slowing growth by about 0.1 percentage points a week. Even so, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders says they're focused on long-term economic principles and she stresses that the economy remains strong. Greg Clugston, the White House.
5: Meanwhile, the White House says President Trump has signed a bill ensuring federal workers affected by the partial government shutdown will be paid when it's over. The signing was kept private as the president stayed out of the public eye for a second straight day. The House and Senate had voted to give back pay to some 800,000 federal employees, either furloughed or working without wages during the shutdown. Many received pay stubs with only zeros last week. Correspondent Sagar Magani reporting. British Prime Minister Theresa May has survived a no-confidence vote, but the BBC's Rob Watson says May's way forward is difficult.
2: Surviving the vote of confidence in her government was the easy bit. Now Theresa May is back tackling the all-consuming Brexit crisis. Her offer to talk to the leaders of other parties is widely seen as desperate and a sign of weakness. There's little optimism, however, about any cross-party agreement. Theresa May seems unwilling to compromise much, and the other party leaders reluctant to help her out. A resolution to the Brexit stalemate, therefore, as distant as ever.
5: On Wall Street, that up by 141 points to 24,207, the Nasdaq rose 11, the S&P advanced 6, oil up to 52.31 a barrel. More on these stories at townhall.com.
6: When it comes to your pain, many of you might be skeptical, like I was, about ordering Relief Factor. Pat Boone again for this wonderful 100% drug-free supplement designed to help your own body lower or eliminate occasional aches and pains due to aging, exercise, everyday living. I'm not skeptical any longer. The three-week quick start is now discounted to only $19.95. Why don't you let us see if we can get you out of pain, too, at relieffactor.com.
4: A scandal in
5: Israel's justice ministry is making headlines. We hear the latest from the Media Line's Michael Friedson
6: reporting from Jerusalem. A new scandal in Israel reads like a movie. What is known, despite a gag order, is that a senior official in the justice infrastructure has been arrested for trading a judicial appointment for sex. Evidence of his high rank? The suspect was tasked with selecting two lawyers to be appointed as magistrates. He offered one slot to a female attorney, but only in return for sexual favors. Given that the police interview list includes the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, the Minister of Justice, and the Attorney General has recused himself because of a close relationship with the defendant, there's no doubt the level of persons of interest and the level of interest of the Israeli people will both be significant as the sordid details unfold. I'm Michael Friedson, Town Hall News, Jerusalem.
5: News and analysis at TheMediaLine.org and TownHall.com.
2: I'm Keith Peters in Washington. Get your daily dose of family-strengthening encouragement anytime, anywhere with the new Focus on the Family broadcast app, featuring exclusive content and offline listening. Get it today at Google Play or the App Store.
4: Tommy, I need you to clean your room or you'll have to take a time out. No, that won't work, he'll just sit around. No dessert, no TV, no friends. Right. And no breakfast, no lunch,
6: no dinner.
2: (laughs) Well, maybe you know that mom's frustration all too well, especially if you have a teenager in your house. You recognize that soon they won't be a child, and they're quickly approaching the day when they become an adult, but you're wondering, why is it taking so long to grow up and (laughs) take some responsibility of their own? Well, today on Focus on the Family, we're going to help. Uh, We're going to help you and your teen better navigate the transitional time from childhood to adulthood, thanks to the expertise of our guest. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller.
6: John, I'll admit, I've done the same thing with my boys, issuing those ultimatums and threats, uh, like you'll never leave this house again and we'll never do this Mm -hmm. fun thing again. And then afterwards, feeling pretty foolish about all of it. Uh, As much as we'd like to control the lives of our kids and get them to do everything exactly the way we want to, uh, it's impossible, uh, especially during the teen years. Man, this is the time of independence, that spurt, that growth Mm -hmm. of independence. They're becoming their own person, and uh, they're different in many ways. So instead of trying to control our teens, we need to train them in how to effectively take control of their own lives, and manage it well. A couple of months ago, Dr. Ken Wilgus was our guest on this broadcast. Um, He's a psychologist who specializes in adolescent behavior, and he shared some great insights about how to help your teens launch well into adulthood. It's one of the most critical problems we have in the church today. Our teens aren't launching well. At the time, we record a lot of extra content with Ken, and we want to share more of the wisdom of that discussion that we had Mm -hmm.
2: and this conversation is based on dr wilgus's book feeding the mouth that bites you (laughs) a complete guide to parenting adolescents and launching them into the world now we had a live audience in the studio and we're going to include a question and answer time with them later on in this broadcast right now here's the conversation with dr wilgus on today's episode of focus on the family Can speak to the idea of planned emancipation,
6: which is really the theme of feeding the mouth that bites you, how you can help plan the emancipation of your teenager. What's that general? You could could
2: practically title the book Planned Emancipation, really. That's really what it's about, which is um, getting ahead of the curve, knowing that by 13, your teenager uh, needs and needs to need to be out on their own eventually. So you get out ahead of it, and in an orderly, rational fashion, you give over that freedom uh, in reason stages now with Freedom